Hi guys, welcome to CLG Talks. I am your host Ian Corbett and today I've got the pleasure of chatting to Alan Sherry, OBE. Alan is the chair of the CLG Standards Council for Scotland and had an episode with us earlier um, in the seasons in February 2022. Alan, good to have you back, how are you? Hi Ian, it's great to be back. Um, I think like everybody else, I'm really excited at the moment about the possibilities of the outcome of the independent review as part of the broader education reform piece in Scotland. Delighted that the sector has been recognised as needing a review because it, well, the Alexander report must have been before you were born because I can just, <laughs> just about remember it. Um, I think I might have still been a student when it was first published. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's, it, we need some sort of review about what the role of CLD in the 21st century is going to be and how it fits in with the new structure. So I'm really excited. And it's a really interesting time for the sector. I don't mean that in the Chinese sense of <laughs> difficulties. Absolutely. So just to kick us off, um, like I said, Alan recorded an episode in February 2022, so I would direct you to that if there's anything that, that piques your interest. But Alan, for people who are just tuning in with us today, could you give us a bit of background to, about yourself, a bit about your role at the Chair of CLD Standards Council and what, what, how, how you, um, what, what led to that role and, and you being in that, in that space? Sure. I think since the last time we met, um, I was actually retired at the time, but since then I spent a year at South Lancashire College as the acting principal to to, get, to help them out in a difficult situation, um, which was really interesting. And again, it gave me a chance to interact with in Lancashire because I never worked in Lancashire before; I'd always worked in Glasgow. Yeah. I've also uh, been involved in a few boards, jobs in business Glasgow, and 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 the North. Lanarkshire uh, Built Environment Sector Board, both of which are a bit more about economic development and the role of education in economic development. Yeah. But my, I've been asked to join those because of the key role that CLD has in assisting people get to the stages that they need to get to in order to participate effectively within the economy and within the labour market and to meet their own personal development needs. So that's been really interesting. Yeah. I've been a long-time member of the Board of White Ribbon Scotland and uh, I'm also on the board of Fuse Youth Cafe and Pavilion, which is a youth work, well, it's more than a youth work organisation now, but an organisation in the east end of the city. Um, and uh, I always remind Jerry Baldwin, the chief executive, he was a student when I first met him. So <laughs> uh, that was good. So I've been doing things like that. Um, my role as chair of the Standards Council is to represent the council in a number of external fora, I'm at the moment, I'm on the Scottish Education Council um, as the only CLD rep. Um, we engage with the ministers, the directors at Lifelong Learning and Skills, but also to work with Mary and the team around the policies and development of policy within the context of Standards Council, chair of the executive committee and, and support the other committees. So it's been an interesting, this will be the start of my sixth year, believe it or not. It doesn't seem that it's flown past. And it's been yeah. fascinating in all its all its time. No, oh, I, can, I can imagine. I can imagine. You mentioned there about going back uh, for further education at, at South Lanarkshire College. Can you give us just a quick overview for anybody that hasn't listened to the first episode of your sort of journey through um, education prior to that, before your retirement? Sure. I, my first role was as an adult education tutor in Strath with Strathclyde Region based in Glasgow back in, started in 1980 which is quite scary when you think about it. And then um, 
that was a, another time of austerity. There was a reprofiling of adult, adult Central College of Commerce, which is in Cathedral Street, which is now after about three mergers, is now um, City of Glasgow College. But I was an original member of staff at John Wheatley College in 1989, the only college opened by Strathclyde Regional Council. Um, spent most of my life, John Wheatley was based in the East and Easter House in Glasgow, for those of you who don't know the city. And eventually I became the principal there and then led the merge when colleges were being merged in 2012-13. I led the merge at the Glasgow Kelvin College, which is the college that serves the, the, the north and the east and greater east sides of the city. All the time I was involved in the college sector, um, I did adult learning type activities. I did some really innovative stuff when, when Strathclyde Region was trying to upskill unqualified community development workers who were based in social work. And that was about giving them uh, like a one-year course to prepare them to go to do the degree at Strathclyde, uh, Strathclyde or Jordan Hill as it was at the time, but Strathclyde as it became. Uh, at Wheatley, we at one point had the largest youth work provision in Glasgow. We established uh, a learning network funded by uh, the Wheatley Group, called the Wheatley, funnily enough, called the Wheatley Learning Network, yep. which was delivered in partnership with community-based organisations where the college gave them equipment, access to the super-fast broadband that the college academic system had. They could use it all the time. The college delivered classes in partnership, tried to create pathways for people that start them off with, what do you need to know? And I'm so old, I can remember we used to run courses in how do you use an email so you can email <laughs> your grand wains in Australia uh, right through to delivering very specific programs to help community organisations become more sustainable or very specific programs to in partnership with community-based groups to help people gain employment when big, big employers were coming to the city and that part of the city as well so always been involved in community-based learning and I've always seen the importance of community-based learning um, yeah. in all its forms, but within the wider context of it should be part of a system. And that's always been one of my frustrations is that often CLDs kind of seen as sitting somewhere that floats around the other parts um, yeah. and never really gets the full credit it deserves. So the impact it makes on people's lives and the impact it makes on fundamentally changing um, both individuals and communities' experiences for the better. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a notion, I can't remember who said it, but it stuck in my mind. I heard someone saying that as CLD practitioners, we need to stand up um, and push back on the notion that CLD is the ugly cousin of education. And I think that kind of stuck because I think that is, in some spaces, very much the feeling um, around um, sort of CLD work that we do. You mentioned adult education and you mentioned youth work. Um, I think I know the answer um, to this is likely to be adult education, but what, what area of CLD do you most identify with and what, and what makes you so passionate about that area? To be honest, I think I see it as an integrated whole. Yeah. Uh, it's a, For me, it's a false that you're not a child all your life and you don't spring out fully formed to be an adult and community development is, is part of that process along the way. I think we have to focus on the bits that are important. I, I, my, my key issue, I think, is that we can't see it as one as 
balkanised. We have to see it as a collective activity in that we're preparing youth, good youth work. The good youth work that you see going on across the country is giving young people the skills for life, work, adulthood, and to be contributors in society. Good adult learning is addressing sometimes the, the issues that people have had with an unsuccessful first school experience, but also where people who are ready to change their lives. And the broad, we're doing broadly the same things. Um, we're giving people those meta skills that are more than knowledge, but are the underpinnings of learning for life. And I think that's what we have to see it. We have to see ourselves as part of a common system. And we have to, to see ourselves as contributing to that. So youth work at, for older young people has to be preparing them for the next stage of their adult learning journey. And adult learning, when it's doing family learning, has to engage around the youth work piece so that there is that that acceptance that we learn from both sides. So I, I think that's key. Underpinning all that is the essential aspect, in my view, is that we should be given everyone we engage with in the sector the skills to take greater control of their lives and all and hold public bodies and others to account. And I think that's good community development as well. Yep. You know, one of the things I used to say to people is that when I was a college principal is, it's my, the job of the college is to make my life hell at a public meeting. So that people say to me, how are you spending 35 million pounds of public money in this community and why are you doing it in this way? Rather than just thinking I'll come along and say, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And absolutely. So that's that for me, that's the key thing. I I I'm passionate about it all because I've seen how good youth work and I've worked in East End and Easter House, and, I, and I'm not falling into caricatures, but I've seen how it stopped people getting sucked into a cycle of self-destructive behaviour. But I've also seen that how it's taken good adult learning has taken people who thought they had no alternatives to their life and suddenly find something they're very, very good at and dramatically changing not only their lives, but the lives of their family and the lives of their community. So I think we should be passionate about all of what we do uh, yeah. because one isn't better than the other. If you know no, what I mean. it's, it's not like pick your favourite child for one of a better expression. I will. Some some people still do that, whether they like to admit it or not, I'm sure. I think it's interesting what you say as well is like I feel like I'm very much a, a product of that. I am a youth worker predominantly, although that's not my job title anymore. Um but I kinda attributed youth work to changing the sort of course of my life when I was a, a little scallywag um many years ago. But actually it was only with hindsight upon reflection that it's probably adult learning that's actually really changed the trajectory of my life and I think like I attributed that to youth work for a long time and it definitely gave me the nudge in a different direction but actually now I'm, I'm doing a master's in community education at Dundee and reflecting back on my journey actually I've spent much more time engaging in adult learning than I ever did in youth work although that was a pivotal moment so that really resonates what you were saying there is that, that transition from one to the other is is hugely important and, and when we're looking at lifelong learning it has to be a sort of transitional journey doesn't it so it's Aye, that makes perfect sense to me anyway. Um, the reason um, that we're here um, today to have a chat, as you, as you mentioned um, at the beginning of the episode, is there's currently an independent um, review of um, CLD, or the CLD sector across Scotland. Can you give us a sort of insight into what you understand of the process um, that, that's ongoing at the moment? 
My understanding of it is, is that it's going to be very similar to the way that the Scottish Government ran the consultation exercise led by James Withers on skills. Yeah. Is that they like they've come to the conclusion that short, sharp, focused activity led very obviously led by the person appointed, Kate, in our case, Kate Still, yeah. um, who is seeking not only to look at reams and reams of written evidence, but also to engage with practitioners and learners. And I understand that Kate's done that. I know, for example, she's already been at meetings with Standard Council members. I know that other organisations are trying to organise meetings. She wants to go out and, fit and physically see projects in action. Um, she'll also consider written evidence and there's a, a very high-level questionnaire. I, I think some colleagues are disappointed they're not very specific questions about very specific areas of the CLD family. That's not the purpose of this review. This is to give the, the minister, in my view, a rationale for what the sector can contribute going forward within the reform Scottish education space. It's not about the nitty-gritty of what goes on in an adult literacy programme and near where I stay, say, in Forgewood, nor is it about how effective youth work provision may be in uh, Ackleton Bowie. It's more about what are the principles that inform what we do and why, why we do it and how does it fit in with the rest of the piece. And I, I, I think it's a change in terms of consultation exercise, and I know that Certainly from my previous experience um, oh, for over 35 years as a senior manager in the college sector is, you know, we used to spend days writing a response to questions that were about 20 pages long and you honed it and you, then, you, then you sent along about 55 million annexes. Uh, <laughs> I think the view now is we've got a lot of data. People have read that data before it comes in. This is what we want to focus on. Yep. So it's an opportunity, I think, for the sector as well. Take a step back and say, this is what other people think they need to know about us, um, which is sometimes good. It's a bit different from looking in the mirror because we tend to see the same things all the time. Yep. And it is a bit different from, a, as CLD practitioners, ourselves getting in the room and saying, like, what would you like to ask each other? And I think that that's good from that kind of challenge is always good. And in a sense as well, that's the kind of challenge we expect learners to give us, and in our, and in our activities, the challenge sometimes we throw it to learners so that they then think differently. Yeah. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. We just have to take it as it is and engage as positively as we can, I yeah. think. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm actually really keen. Um, I, th I think we do a lot of work around sort of critical analysis and reflection as individuals or in individual workspaces, and we do it with the people that we work with, but actually... It's a really interesting opportunity to look at the sector as a whole and reflect on like where the changes can happen and almost using that as a mandate for improvement um, across all the all the services and all the organisations that are operating within that. Like you said, we need to engage as positively as possible. What's your best hopes coming out of the review? What what is the optimal outcome um, after the independent review is complete? My conviction is if we do this properly that CLD will be recognised as a key element in the lifelong learning environment that 21st century Scotland needs. That what we do across the piece is essential to create a fairer society for everyone, 
not just for those enough fortunate to do well in the school system. Fundamentally, believe it will reinforce. It should reinforce the youth of the importance of youth work and supporting young people, both in schools and those likely to disengage rapidly from schools about getting and help them. I also think it's important it helps young people in the transition from school to college as well. And I think that's underplayed sometimes. I also think it's key. I, I, I was reflecting this the other day there. When, when I was a young man many, many years ago, I used to resent going to conferences where middle-aged men in grey suits, very crumpled grey suits, has to be said, stood up and went, you'll change your career four times in your life. So you need to think about that. And what they actually meant is you change jobs four times within the same industry. Basically, like me, basically. But fundamentally, people are going to radically change their careers now. The jobs that, that people have to now are going to radically alter, or they might not exist anymore. So adult learning is going to be central to helping people, one, cope with the pace of change. And some, I, 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 like used, I can't remember who said this to me, but they said, the pace of change now in the 21st century is the... Is, it's the fastest it's ever been, but it's also the slowest it's ever going to be. We are going to have to, to, to work, I think, with a whole raft of adults whose jobs are going to change radically, whose experience of life is going to change radically, but are, but are folk in their 30s and 40s with families, with houses, with expectations that are not going to give up their job to go back to college or university for four years full time. And we're going to have to be in that space somewhere to give people the, the skills they need to cope with technological change, but also to cope with what the demands of the labour market are. And also that bit of like that out, particularly um, across both youth and adult, that space about mental health, because the pace of change is really scary. The lack of certainty is really scary. I, this is probably the first time genuinely in my adult life that uh, there's been war in Europe and war in the Middle East and both look like being out of control because up my adult life just now that's not that's another thing that's layered on top of all the other changes going on and I think we're key in supporting people through that by our activities by our ability to get different groups of people together to chat about things to tackle broader issues and I think that's what we need to be doing so I would my wish is that Kate recommends that that's our key role uh, and say to schools that professionally qualified youth workers are educators who give young people something different from a teacher, but are equally important in that young person's learning journey. And that those learning episodes are equally important. And that's what I hope we're going to get. Um, I'm an optimist. But, if you're well, a mother will find you need to be an optimist, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, I grew up in a, um, as a, the son of a St. Murn fan, so it's a fairly similar outlook, I think. Uh, what, what about, so you, you said that as, and admittedly, um, as an optimist yourself, what are the concerns or challenges on the converse? Like what, 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 what do you think the risks are in, in the process, if any? Not sure it's a risk solely because of the review. I think the big risk to the sector is... Um, the lack of resource across the Scottish government piece. And the sector suffered really badly over the last probably 10, 15 years of being cut because there's a reluctance to, to cut schools and there's a reluctance to cut universities. They'll both have suffered. 
but not at the same level. Mm. And I think that's because there's a lack of understanding of what we actually do. Because it's, and I, I don't, and honestly, and please, I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to, trying to make the point sarcastically because I don't think it's true at all. But it's not like we play table tennis with the Waynes and that's all we do, or it's muesli mixing for the middle classes. But the reality of it is for most decision makers, that's kind of their view of what we do because it's probably their experience. Yeah. Uh, they'll know some of these kids that go and go to youth club and they play table tennis, which is a valuable thing to do, and I'm not deriding that. Or they know somebody who goes to an adult learning class, which is like flower arranging or something like that. But those are not central to what we actually do. But that informs people's views. And we don't have a, a coherent lobbying body that other parts of the sector have. And so as a former college person, we've got there's College of Scotland, there's University of Scotland, and you've got the EIS all lobbying for their sector. And we don't have that clear voice. Yep. And the fact that we don't have a clear voice means that we can easily be bought off in one sense or another, is that someone gets a bit of money there, somebody gets a bit of money there, and that shuts everybody up for a wee while, rather than us sitting down and saying, systemically, the sector needs funded. And that happens at both at a Scottish government level and at a local government level. Yep. And I th- and I also mean, one of, and one of the things I have said to Kate Still, and I'm sure that others will as well, is that in some of the restructuring exercises, CLD's been moved out of the education department. Therefore, it's not seen as part of an education provision. Therefore, directors of education aren't necessarily interested in it because it's not part of their budget. Um, and HMI reports don't end up at the education committee. And one of the things that we've, we've said, and certainly Mary and I both said to Kate, we think that's wrong. Bearing in mind that um, local authorities have a statutory obligation to produce a CLD plan, and the director of education is supposed to oversee the production of that plan. So we're we're making that point that we have to be seen as part of the, the broader educational piece. And I think that's important for us. If we we need to be arguing that vociferously as a sector to recognise how then we could use resource. Whilst I accept things are tough, there are, there is money in the sector. If it was deployed in different ways, it could have bigger bang for its buck. No, no, it makes perfect sense. I really thought the point there about youth work and, and that sort of you, you, the table tennis analogy I usually talk about people thinking of as just playing pool as youth workers and it amounts to the same thing but I also think there's a really weird sort of conversation just now where you do have a group who think basically youth workers just play pool with young people but also another group who are essentially tasking youth workers with reducing antisocial behaviour, reducing violence and all of these kind of things because of the relationships that, that youth workers historically have. But given the conversation you just said about resources, looking at third sector youth work, particularly across Glasgow, well, because that's the area I know best. Actually, the, the, the funding model is so short-termist now that those deep embedded relationships don't even exist anymore. So that universal youth work offering that used to provide those relationships and safe spaces has been replaced with 12 and 26 week short term projects on mental health or on w- whatever it might be. And they're all good projects. But actually, it's the, I find there's a real irony. And on one hand, they're saying is all they do is play pool. But on the other hand, they're saying, oh, we need those meaningful relationships to try and solve some of society's issues and kind of want their cake and eat it. Do you know what I mean? It's a, a weird. And I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, projectitis distorts what we're trying to do. 
we can't tackle effectively the, the challenges that the, the most deprived communities face if we don't have sustained support. Um, and these are programmes that will have to last years, not weeks, and that people can fall in and out of, join back at different times when their lives change. But the important thing throughout it is, is that it needs to be constant. Yeah. And there needs to be a way of ensuring that, that people know that we're there, there's stability for them. Yeah. Because, I mean, why would the young person or a... a, a a disengaged adult invest if they think after six weeks you're going to go, right, that's us finished. Thanks very much. It was really nice seeing you. There's no more funding. You know, this doesn't happen at school. You know, there's a kind of like, you're, you're, well, most young people are there for six years now. It doesn't happen in college and university, though, as much. You know, it's probably short courses, but you know what I mean? That whole, there's that level of continuity and that expectation is still going to be there. In some parts of Scotland, we don't even know if the the buildings that we work in, communities are going to be there, never are, are open. And that has to be addressed. And whether yeah. it's making better use of school and college facilities because they're public assets and we shouldn't pay any price for being in there if we're contributing. And I think if you, you know, there's discussion kicking around about regional planning um, of curriculum. If there is, we need to be in those discussions because an effective youth work curriculum makes a fundamental difference. Um, across the piece and is best delivered by qualified professional CLD workers. The same with an adult education offer is best delivered by that. And I say that on the basis of like, you know, I think college lecturers do a really, really good job. And I think school teachers do a really good job, but they're different jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to do that. And I'm with you in that, but we need to be saying it's sustained. And that, you know, your six-week programme will be in a loop. And then it'll have served its purpose, but you replace it with something else. Yeah. And that whole notion of writing applications, writing evaluations, you know, how much of your working life does that take up rather than actually sitting down and thinking about how I plan learning activities, how I support learners, how do I make sure that learners feel they get appropriate recognition for what they do and accreditation? Yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting, you know, the brilliant stuff, particularly the youth work piece. Um, around, you know, qualifications, John Muir Trust, for example, the Youth Achievement Awards, but even the things that we we, we deliver on a bespoke, bespoke way is why can't we use the, C, the CQF to give academic credit to those as part of a partnership operation with their local colleges who are all, uh, they're all, um, they can all, um, are all able to give yeah. uh, recognise qualifications because of the arrangement they have with the SCQA. If we're doing things like that, people feel comf confident and co more comfortable. Yeah. And it's not all about saying that everyone has to have bits of paper, but but for people who don't, having something that recognises their learning is often very, very important to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I also think there's a really, those two points you made that for me kind of come together, one about the sort of redistribution of resources but one also about the sort of short-term nature and needing to have that long-term investment, either um, financially or, or with, by the people. And I, I have real concerns that right now, because particularly looking at the third sector, is that almost we have what is starting to resemble a two-tier system where 
because of the, the financial resources for third sector being so directly competitive, we actually now have people leaving communities that they've been embedded in for years because they want to go to local authority or go to colleges or go to universities where they A, get a salary, which probably attracts 10k a year more, but also can provide them with a pension and, and, and things that give them security on an individual basis. And I've got real concerns about how the funding won't allow a lot of third sector, especially grassroots organisations, to provide those sort of securities. And actually, it means that people with long-lasting relationships are moving on needlessly in some in some situations. You know, I think it's a real challenge. I mean, and if I think back to my time, that some of the best community-based organisations um, started off, everybody was a volunteer. And, and as time moved on, people gained experience and qualifications. And local people stayed in the organisation and became the staff within the organisation. And that ability to look and say, oh, Alan, he used to stay four doors along from me. Now he stays 10 doors away and he's, you know, he's working in there now. But before he was, you know, totally out, out of the game. I think that's really important because that's the engine for change. Because at the end of the day, they've got to realise people see us as middle-class professionals, no matter how we see ourselves. And sometimes they think we're only there and passing through as part of our career rather than as invested as virtually all our staff are. But you know what it's like? People make assumptions. Absolutely. So I think it's important that we, that we do support that kind of organic growth. And if, if we're serious in Scotland about creating a fairer Scotland and communities that have coherence and cohesion, we need to support those types of organisations and make sure that they thrive. But like you I I don't see a strategy for that at the moment. Yeah. Um, nor do I realistically, other than when you're at you know, on the board of one of those types of organizations or engage with one of those organizations, that anyone's actually talking about it seriously. Yep. No, absolutely. I totally agree. Conscious that these episodes are supposed to be um shorter than our average episodes. So I'm going to ask um to revisit the, the signature question, um, Alan, that we, we do on every episode. So you will have been asked this a couple of years ago, but a lot can happen in a couple of years. So um, as always, going to wrap up today with what advice would you give to someone looking to start out today in a career in CLD? I think they should see it as a wonderful opportunity to work with some really interesting people and get huge reward for what they do. Um, but to be aware that it's not that it's a challenge. And there will be days where you think banging my head against this wall is much more fun than my day job, but hang on to the good bits. I think that would be my advice. It's about that and also recognizing that you're having an impact even on the days you think you're not. Yeah. Because the fact you're there engaging in a way that others aren't is having an impact on people's lives. Can I just tell you maybe one story to kind of like encapsulate that about why I think that's my advice. When I went to John Wheatley in 1989, um, we were trying to start a college from scratch and we were supposed to be different Strathclyde was said, this is a college based on its communities, it's got to go out there. So my one of my first jobs in the college was to go out all the community events and uh, you used to pray that social work and housing would appear because they'd get a kick in first. By the time they got to you, you kind of hoped that the audience was fed up but anyway, a well-known community activist on my second second meeting in Easter House, um, I danced, I'd done the spiel, and then she said, how long are you here for, son? And I said, um, well, this is a long-term project, so we're going to be here for a really long time. 
And you know that only the way that, that someone from Great East House can say is, I write, you're just another one passing through. So about 25 years later, I was at another public meeting, da 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 da, and I said, and you know, I'm delighted to be here. And I said, and Anne, I did say to you 25 years ago, you know, we're here for the duration. And she, she said, yeah, yeah, you're right, Al, but we're still trying to get rid of you. <laughs> and for me, you know, that was my acceptance. That. Aye, absolutely. absolutely. And that's what it meant. And I honestly, I came home and I thought, I've arrived. I'm now part of that, but she's still, t- but she can make that kind of joke. Yeah. And I think that's what you get from the kind of engagement of what we do. And that kind of impact is what makes the job worth it. Absolutely. It is what makes the job worth it. No, absolutely. I had a moment, maybe not quite as poignant as that, but from going on to an activist, um, somebody's very active in, in the Drum Chapel area of Glasgow. And there was a, a mailing list of people who were recognised as the doers within the community. And then there was another list that were generally CC'd into emails. And I distinctly remember in the day my, my name moved from the CC list onto the, the, the general list and thought, I've made it. I've made it. So, uh, absolutely. Alan, we're going That's to wrap up. Um, there, is there anything else you want to add just before we, we would have brought it to a close? I want to encourage people to participate in the, the review process, either through the Standards Council, through the local authorities, through their voluntary organisation, through their trade union. Get as many get as many ideas out there as as possible. Make sure that Kate understands what we do and recognises how important we are to making Scotland a better and fairer place to live in. Brilliant. Thank you, Alan. Anyone that's listening today, again, once again, just direct you to Alan's previous episode um, from February 2022. Thank you very much for your time and see you again. Cheers. Cheers and thanks again, Ian, for organising this.